0: Hello and welcome to the REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borson-Hito. Today we're looking at farmland and why investors should consider it as a property sector alongside more traditional asset classes. Here to share his insights into what farmland means for investors today is Martin Davies, Global Head of Nuveen Natural Capital. Martin, thanks for speaking with the REIT Report today.
1: My pleasure. Looking forward to the discussion here.
0: Let's get started by looking at how well understood is farmland as an asset class? And do you see that level of understanding evolving?
1: The general understanding of agriculture, of course, is is pretty good. But when you actually start looking at how you invest in agriculture or how you invest in farmland, I think that the, the understanding on where the returns come from, What the risks are, how you diversify, what's the operating model is is not particularly well understood. And certainly our experience, we've been investing in farmland as a business for 35 years, is that it's a continual process of ongoing education for investors who are coming to the asset class fresh.
0: And can you talk about some of the key features of US farmland investments and the role farmland REITs play in that broader picture?
1: The U.S. market is undoubtedly the most mature market in farmland. There's been investment uh, ever since the Westchester business started out 35 years ago. So it's, it's a developed, mature market. And of course, remember that U.S. agriculture is very sophisticated. There's a very good infrastructure. There's many opportunities in the U.S. It's a very diversified market from a crop type perspective. It's a market where technology adoption has been very rapid. And there's a great degree of stability in US farmland returns. The, the US government underpinned farmland with subsidized crop insurance, and that's been in place for a long time. So the, the, the sector is has had very low volatility from a return point of view. The model that we follow is to lease out row crops, so land which is grown exchange-traded commodity crops. And one of the important factors there is the depth of the tenant pool and the sophistication of the tenants, which is very good in the US. We tend to operate permanent crops, so tree nuts, citrus, avocado. And one of the things that we are reliant on there is being able to outsource the orchard or the vineyard operations to specialists service providers. And again, in the US, that capability is, is very well developed. So it's a really well developed market. And when you look globally, it's undoubtedly the preferred location for both domestic investors and also investors from other, other countries as well.
0: What are some of the constraints on current agricultural production? And what does that mean for land prices?
1: There's many constraints that come into play. And, and of course, that's going to depend on the type of cropping you're looking at and to some degree the, the location. So we, we could say that for certain parts of the US, water availability, particularly somewhere like the Central Valley of California, where you have a predominance of heavy water intensive crops, almonds, pistachios, walnut, uh, and so on. Labour could be a, a constraint. When you start looking at some of the more labor intensive crops, one of the things which doesn't really get talked about a great deal is scale. But remember today that a lot of the machinery that's used in the agricultural sector is very sophisticated. It's very expensive. So there's a requirement to have economies of scale in the sector. But one of the things which I don't believe is talked about sufficiently is how producers in the sector can realize full value. So, of course, you can sell produce, but how do you actually get any benefit for certification? How do you monetize the benefits from natural capital, so water quality? And and one of the things that we see talked about increasingly today is the carbon sequestration opportunity set that exists in agriculture. How do we monetize those benefits? But that's not to say that these constraints can't be overcome, but there is some limitation in one or two situations as a result of that.
0: And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how is new technology impacting farmland productivity?
1: Technology has impacted the agricultural sector massively. If you look through time, we had the human being change from a hunter-gatherer to a farmer, then we had the industrial revolution, we had the green revolution, and we are in a technology and data revolution for, in agriculture that's been running for probably between five to seven years. So agriculture, because it's primary production, it's very dependent on many factors, climatic, the interaction of crops with soil. It does lend itself to gathering data. On the production cycle and using that data to inform the uh, decision-making process, but technology can come into play in machinery, so um, guidance, machine learning, precision variable rate application. So it's had a massive impact already and will continue to do so. So that increases productivity. But what one of the key things that technology enables us to do in the agricultural sector is to reduce the reliance on synthetic inputs. So we're producing with the more sensitive approach to, to the environment. I think a great example is if you look at corn in the US, so record corn yield in uh, 2021 in the US was 602 bushels per acre, but the average corn yield across the whole of the US was 177 bushels per acre. So what's the difference between that maximum yield and the average? It it's all comes down to how refined and how Sophisticated decision-making processes, how precise the inputs are applied, and technology can help close the gap. But to use another example, a reduction of inputs John Deere of commercialized sea and spray technology. So sprayers that are actually just looking for weeds and targeting the weed rather than blanket spraying the whole field, that can result in a 77 percent reduction in herbicide use, which typical situation is worth around 30 dollars an acre. So it's very, very significant impact in the sector.
0: And do you see climate change as a key risk for farmland investment? And what other potential risks are out there that you're watching?
1: There's no question that climate change is a very significant risk in agriculture. And, of course, you'd expect that seen as it's, it's primary production, uh, whether that be water availability, whether it be change in microclimate, which makes diseases more prevalent whether at the extremes of weather during harvest period or seeding period, or one of the things which has been very well documented in the U.S., particularly in 2020, was the wildfires in California. There's no doubt there's climatic risk. But one of the key things in investing in farmland, and I touched on this at the outset there about the knowledge that your typical investor has, is the criticality of diversifying. So you need to diversify by the location and where you invest, and that could be um, not only within the US but globally. So you get away from government intervention and regulation in the agricultural sector. diversify by crop type, so we produce forty-five different crop types across two point three million acres globally. Diversified by the way that you operate the assets. We lease out land which is producing row crops, and we operate permanent crops because there are many more opportunities to add value in the permanent crop sector. So. Uh, wine grapes is an example. We're selling wine grapes to discerning wineries. So there's much greater opportunity to sell at a premium. The last thing is diversified by water source. So irrigated farmland and, and dry land as well. So those, those are some of the risks that exist. Climatically, there are, of course, going to be places which will benefit from climate change. But I think that's, it'd be ill-advised to focus on that. But you will see some increased potential for cropping in some locations as a result of of climate change. Going on to other risks in the sector, I just mentioned government intervention and regulation, um, commodity price volatility, currency. Movement And then when you get down to a more practical level, in a lease out model, you have to think about the credit worthiness of the tenant. What are the other operating business risks that exist? And one of the topics which is very much a focus of investors' minds today is sustainability, environment, social and governance factors. There are many emotive topics that are talked about in the agricultural sector, whether that be GM technology, whether it be use of pesticides, whether it be land ownership, rights family farming. So those are a sense of some of the risks that are involved. But with a well thought through diversified approach, it is possible to build a hedge against those risks in your portfolio and to deliver consistent returns over time.
0: Martin, we've covered a lot of different topics, but are there any other developments or issues that we've missed in our other questions?
1: I just touched on one, Sarah. So sustainability and ESG. And carbon footprint. I did mention earlier that one of the constraints that exists in the sector today is the ability to monetize some of the additional benefits that exist within the agricultural sector. So we increasingly think about farmland and timberland for that matter as being a holistic approach to investment where you're investing in natural capital assets. If you look at global GDP, Roughly half of global GDP arises or is directly influenced by natural capital assets. So, how do we make sure that we are getting rewarded for the benefits that we're bringing to the wider natural capital and that the Earth's assets? So, water quality, biodiversity, and soil organic matter, carbon sequestration, and, and, and these sort of things. So, there's a level of sophistication that, that's required in the approach to invest in agriculture to make sure. That we're approaching some of these additional issues in in the most thoughtful way. But that does without doubt bring opportunity for the future. So historically, we've talked about farmland values only being influenced by what we're actually producing um, on the land. So food, fiber, timber. Uh, But increasingly we will see as mechanisms and markets develop to monetize some of these additional investment opportunities. So it's a very exciting sector to be in. And let's not forget that the sector is underpinned by some very, very strong fundamental themes. So we need to increase calorie production by 56% through to 2050, protein production by 100%. And whilst we're doing that, we need to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions and the carbon footprint of the sector as well. That needs a flow of external capital. The World Bank talk about $350 $350 amount of external capital being required on an annual basis. Investors have the opportunity to bring that capital to the sector and benefit from the returns that have existed historically. So stability, strong income, good total return, inflation hedge characteristics. And of course, one very compelling theme is not being correlated to the economic cycle. Through the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen no dip off in Our farmland returns, as we've seen historically through other economic crises, so the global financial crisis and the tech bubble, farmland returns stayed strong strong through that period.
0: Martin, thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah, no problem at all, Sarah. And
0: to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favourite podcast platform.